0: (laughs) (laughs) You were saying?
1: Welcome to episode 92 of the Civil War Breakfast Club. Tonight I am joined by the guy that has put up with me for 91 episodes in separate locations. But tonight for episode 92, this is our first episode where we are recording in the same location, in separate rooms though, um, but he's a real trooper for that um and he's also the most awesome civil war nerd i know darren wakes and i'm his co-host mayor
0: very creative well by your background it seems like we'd be recording this on 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 culps hill at gettysburg wow we're not we're not we're not not allowed to be at dark so that can't be the case so anyway so how what's going on with you how are it's good to be back we are back after a month hiatus thank god those jurors saw it your way because we're back and right now we get to do a whole new episode. Very cool. So how, how exactly. are things?
1: They're good. They're good. Um, yeah, I'm settling into life here in the United States as a student again, doing my master's in library science. And uh, obviously, we're in the same place now. So and you haven't booted my ass out yet. So that's pretty good. No, no. So it's
0: definitely <laughs> good. So it's definitely good. Well, since you're hosting, I will ask you what you're drinking. Since you probably forgot how we do this, it's been so long. Oh, my so God. So I will ask you, what are you drinking?
1: Um, I am drinking forever new england by cisco brewers out of nantucket because it's new england patriots beer and they play their first game this sunday for the season what are you drinking
0: i'm drinking cisco brewers whale tail apparently you're not drinking out of a mug or anything you didn't
1: talk oh wait about no it, i'm so... sorry no i'm drinking it out of oh, I... rusty rusty the viewers can't see this but it is a joshua lawrence chamberlain 20th main glass and because it's his birthday today so that is actually one thing we're going to be talking about to start off is it's Joshua Lawrence's Chamberlain's birthday. Okay, okay.
0: And since you didn't ask, I will tell you. I'm drinking out of my British mug because my people lost our Queen today. Very sad about that. Your that, people? That, 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 my, my people, my British people, my heritage, my 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 peeps, It oh. peeps back in the homeland. Well, so we're all getting through it best way we can. Yep, yeah. that's well, how it is.
1: Well, I do think we kind of need to say something about Queen Elizabeth because we are recording on, unfortunately, the day that she passed away. I'm Canadian. She's head of state for my country. And I think the world lost a very special lady today.
0: Nope, absolutely. I mean, she's been around for a long, long time 70 plus years as queen. So oh, big, di- yeah, big time. That, you know, and just you think- like the old TV show from the 80s, it's time. Now it's Charles in charge, Mary. That's the oh time God. for that. So it's Every- back. So Charles is back. Charles,
1: so anyway. Charles, King Charles III, I think it is. But the other thing I was going to say is like, she is a, a lady who. Witnessed so many different historical events in her lifetime. I think it was. What did you tell me? Like thirteen presidents, and like I mean, how many Canadian prime ministers, world leaders she's met? Historical events like you think World yet, War Two, Vietnam. Somehow, you know?
0: somehow she never saw the Indians win a World Series as Queen, which is hilarious. You fucker. God. Anyway, it's sad. You know, she, you know, she yeah. died in Scotland today. And as you know, life is circular, Mary, as they say, you know, full circle. Today, we're going to talk about a guy who was born in Scotland. We are. Okay. So it's interesting to talk about that. This guy we're going to talk about, I don't know if you know this, Mary, but he commanded a flank at Gettysburg. Okay. He, he refused his line. He fought against overwhelming odds and he he led a bayonet charge to help save the union bacon. And we're not talking about the guy with the mustache from Bowdoin. I was going to say,
1: you're not talking about birthday boy
0: birthday boy okay we're talking about of course david ireland we're going to talk a lot about him now david ireland's someone who you know um he was that guy who you know despite all the heroics we're going to talk about you're not going to find a david ireland t-shirt on steinware avenue god i've god knows i've looked you're not going to find one okay and we think it's you know primarily he doesn't get a lot of publicity because he you know in the historical mainstream anyway you know because he wasn't in the movie Gettysburg or Michael Shara's book, killer angels David Ireland's story is fascinating. And it's one that really needs to have a really bright light shined on it. You know, um, He's somebody who just falls, falls between the cracks, and we're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just Gettysburg. He's, his story is a very fascinating one before Gettysburg and post-Gettysburg. So I think I think it's time we give him his due. I think it's something that a lot of people talk about. They see the monument up there at Hill but I think he's somebody who we need to take, as you like to say, Mary, a deep dive into this gentleman, David Ireland.
1: I would agree. Yeah, he's a guy who, I mean, as you said, there's so much more to him than just – gettysburg um he goes into the western theater but to me his story is just as fascinating as joshua lawrence chamberlain's you know like you said there's so many similarities between the two and um one of the the books i used for my research for this was trudeau's gettysburg i was just reading in it to see what he had to say about david ireland and he he does compare him to chamberlain he says like chamberlain he he faces you know the odd, the odds are kind of against him um numerically. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got to think on the fly really really quickly but this is a guy that you know ireland doesn't just do this at gettysburg he has to do it elsewhere during the civil war too and his whole life is quite fascinating what he does and and he's the guy that he's obviously the next general we've chosen to talk about on the podcast and he's our he's the guy that's bringing us out of our hiatus i guess you could say you know he is he
0: is you know, like many participants in this in the Union Army, David Ireland, you know, he wasn't born in the United States, like we mentioned a few minutes ago. He was born in Scotland of all places, Mary. You know, his last name is Ireland. We had some fun. You were trying to Google him and thought yep. he was in the Irish Brigade. Is he
1: like the Irish Brigade? Yeah, I fully admit it. But I he was that. born
0: in a place called Forfar. He was born on May 9th, 1832. He was the son of Charles Ireland in Barbara Knave. Okay. Now, what's interesting about Charles, he was a tailor and he moved to New York City. Uh, in 1840, when David was eight years old. Now, since his father was a tailor, he bestowed the values on, on David to dress very, very well. And that was a big thing with him throughout his entire life. He always dressed well. Work hard, dress well, doing it. And this stayed with him right up until his death. Um, and so for the most part, and, and the thing about it, though, is something they obviously didn't teach you with the DQ, your dress policy, about dressing well. Because I've just seen the hats, and it's not impressive, you know? What? But the thing about it is Dave Ireland, you know, he, he was going to be a tailor. He was a tailor's apprentice under his father. And when the civil war broke out in April 16, uh, 1861, you know, Ireland, like many men in the North, you know, he felt the need to enlist. So in the summer of 1861, Dave Ireland finds himself as a lieutenant, Okay. In the 79th, New York, it's a regiment consisting of U S regulars. Okay. Mm -hmm. And with, with it, while he's and this is gonna be important to talk about as he goes further on in his command with with his later regiment we're gonna talk about, while this while with the 79th, he's gonna have that benefit of receiving training, okay, as a US regular soldier. Mm-hmm. So he's gonna get the training, the discipline, the whole deal, and it's gonna benefit himself and it's gonna benefit his, his soldiers down the road.
1: Yeah, it is. So as you said, he becomes part of the 79th uh New York. They start off as a militia, but then they um get kind of, you know, brought into the regular army. And they're they're going to they're mustered into federal service on May 29th, 1861. So that's when they kind of they they get brought into the Civil War. And the first battle they're gonna fight in is obviously First Bull Run, July twenty-first, eighteen sixty one. Ireland is a lieutenant by this point. He's also an adjutant. The 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 79th is led by Colonel James Cameron. No word if he's really. must have been before, must have, bu- For, must before, before Titanic. Titanic. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he's going to be directing Titanic after this one. But they're going to fight with General Sherman, who is then a colonel at this time. So it's Colonel Sherman with his 3rd Brigade at the 1st Battle of Bull Run. Now, during the battle, Cameron is going to be killed. And many of the officers, they just resign after this, a number of men just mutinied and they were basically like, screw this, we don't want to do this. And because of this, McClellan takes their colors away. So he takes away their flag. That's a huge thing if that happens to you, um, you know, when you're fighting, like, and you get your colors taken away because the colors are everything. We talked about in that in our our last episode about the 54th Massachusetts, where you know, there was like, who's going to like, we can't let the colors fall, right? If you get them taken away, that that's a really big thing. So Ireland, though, takes over command of the 79th after this as well, but they don't have their colors. So flash forward to September 11th, 1861, with the ambush at Lewinsville, which is near Falls Church, Virginia. And Ireland is going to lead an ambush at this. And what it is, is it's a very small battle and Confederates and Union, they both lay claim to the victory, to a victory here. No, there's no Confederate casualties. There's three Union troops killed and four are taken prisoners. This is also the battle where Jeb Stuart is promoted to general. So Jeb Stuart fans, there you go. Um, there's a force of 1,800 troops led by Union General William Baldy Smith, and they are just going on a reconnaissance mission. Um, And Union Colonel Isaac Stevens is here. And one of the men he's leading is Colonel David Ireland. And like I said, it's recon mission and all that. Both sides claim victory. The recon mission happens and they start to go away. Jeb Stuart attacks them and the Union has to flee. Well, it's Ireland who is going to kind of bring up the rear guard of this and protect the army. And because of this, McClellan restores the colors to the 79th New York. So there's that, but also Ireland gets promoted to captain and he's going to be promoted to the 15th U S infantry. And this is what leads us into him going to the Newport barracks.
0: Right. So he's going to get in the fall of 1861, like you said, he's going to get promoted to captain. He's going to get the responsibility of recruiting troops in upstate New York for William T Sherman. Okay. His army in Ohio. Now, he he's a natural recruiter. He's, he's a sharp-looking guy, good-looking guy. Like we said before, he's dressed to the nines, always looking good. He actually and looks like then-
1: he has this perpetual look of like he doesn't take any bullshit from anybody. Like, I don't know what it is about him, but he just looks like this guy that's like down to business all the time.
0: He probably works at the mine, Gettysburg. It's probably where he works Part after the, part the war. Or the DQ, actually. Well, DQ anyway. But so, but his father must have been proud of him because he looked sharp. He dressed the part. And um, in early of 1862, uh, 18, uh, he, Ireland's going to arrive in, in Binghamton, New York, okay? It's a town of about 25,000 people in 1862. It sits right over the Pennsylvania border, right on that Susquehanna River, uh, right there where it connects to Chenango River. And around this time... He's going to be, he always seems to meet people in his life that are influential. Had Sherman originally. He's going to meet a guy now named Sher, uh, Sherman Phelps, another Sherman, okay, different different name. Phelps is a member of the elite Phelps family, okay? This is a family that it, still to this day has a strong elite impact in Binghamton, New York to this day, okay? A Phelps Mansion was built in 1870, 71, uh, later on after the war, but they're still a very influential family, okay? And this relationship is going to tie Ireland to the Phelps family for the rest of his life. Okay, Phelps was a judge. He was a successful businessman. You know, he was a banker, um, but he was also an influential committee member of the 24th Regional Military District, which is, guess where? Bhampton. Okay, mm-hmm. Phelps took a shine to Ireland. Okay, probably because he, like I say, he looked the part, the whole deal. Sherman's guys, and he had just turned 30 at this point. This is, this is Ireland that we're talking about. And when Ireland was in Binghamton recruiting, by happenstance, okay, Phelps' niece Sarah was in town along with his nephew, a kid named Norman. Okay, Sarah Phelps was just 18 years old. Uh, She was the daughter of a doctor who had ties to a local, the local real estate uh, uh, railroad industry, and other New York elites in that area. So she was a very connected, connected uh, girl there. Okay, soon upon her arrival. Sarah Phelps and David Ireland met and soon became a hot and heavy. That's kind of (laughs) what happened. All right. Now, the young, the young dashing officer in his pristine blue uniform, he's gonna he made Sarah you know swoon harder than you did at the the Olive Oraudis Howard statue. That's how that's how impressive she was. Who was you know that whole thing? But but you know but Ireland, you know he had a job to do in town, which of course is to recruit and recruit. He did. Now the locals flocked to him like a moth to the flame. Okay. And by August 1862, he had raised a regiment that would be known as the 137th New York. Of course, he'll be chosen as the man to command it, okay? And he'll be given the title of colonel. The Iron the 137th, they're going to get the nickname, the Ironclads. That's what they're going to be called, okay? That's interesting. They pulled three companies from Tioga County, four from Broome County, and three more from Tompkins County, all in that area. These are firemen, shopkeepers, uh, farmers, the, the traditional union type of signees, okay, that's mm-hmm. who they were. Um, it was written in a local newspaper that the regiment contained a noble body of men of splendid physical appearance, most of whom had been reared in the rural districts. That's what it said in the local newspaper, okay. The ages of the recruits were a wide range. They range from as young as 14 to as old as 50. Okay? Wow. The the youngest recruit was a 14 year old kid named Ambrose Davidson. Okay, he wanted to sign up, but he was too young. So to enlist, he needed to lie, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. So you know how he enlisted? He took a piece of paper with one eight on it, put it in his shoe. He walks up to the enlistment station. The guy says, are you over 18? He says, yes, I am. Oh he's talking about to stick on top of his paper 1-8. So that's how he got away with it. So he enlisted. Unfortunately for him, he's going to die in 1863 in a hospital in Washington. He oh, my God. Make but that's how, he, that's how he got away with lying. He wrote 1-8 and said, I'm above 1-8. Yeah, my you mom know, that's how it was. So the oldest recruiter, a 50-year-old guy, his name was Henry Shipman. He lived at the site of today's Phelps Mansion, Okay which was built, like I said, in early 1870s, mm-hmm. give or take. And he was going to be the company of Captain F. Now, it sounds like this guy was an older 50 versus a younger 50. His body was probably whatever. OK. So according to troops, you know, when, when shipmen got tired of marching, and they did a lot of marching, Ireland would, would stop and let him ride his horse while he walked with the troops and carried all his baggage. So this 50-year-old guy could, could make it. Wow. And these type of things, even though Ireland was a strict disciplinarian, a U.S. regular, it really made him a beloved guy amongst the troops, which is going to be important later. Okay. Well, there was one now, quote
1: well, I found where um, I think it was the governor of New York who said, or no, it was one of his soldiers who said, we knew him to be a kindly and gentlemanly officer and brave soldier. And I think that just, that really illustrates what you just said about him help having this guy, like letting him ride on
0: his horse, right? That- uh... He he was a guy who trained them really hard. Mm -hmm. I have to think they didn't like him at the beginning because of how the training was, but this is a guy, and it's important, Ireland trained them as if they were US regulars. He Mm -hmm. gave them the same training he got Now, a lot of these guys in these other regiments didn't get that benefit. They were trained by volunteers. You know, we talked a lot about Rufus Dawes and the 6th Wisconsin. I was going to say, though, but, like, when
1: Gibbon came in to take over the, like, what became the Iron Brigade, I think Gibbon trained those guys like regulars, didn't he? And that's why they became as good as they were. But I think they also came to respect him because of that. So, I mean, could we say like Ireland and Gibbon are kind of alike in that way and how they train their troops?
0: No, I think so. I think so. But the men really appreciate it. They didn't, maybe they didn't like mm. it at the beginning. It's like tough love, but they, they yeah. would appreciate it yeah. later on. So the 137th, they trained really hard at a place called Camp Susquehanna, okay, starting on August 31st, 1862. And they were officially mustered in as a regiment of the 137th on September 25th, okay? This is just a week after the Battle of Antietam. So if things are getting really bloody. Things are getting really bad. Yeah. Two days later, the 137th is going to be led by Ireland, and they're going to leave the nest of Binghamton okay, for war. Now, the local paper described their departure, and, and there was a lot of rah-rah and rah, a lot of that, but it was a lot of fear and a lot of, of negative vibes. The paper said, deep-seated below the cheers and applause which were given to these brave soldier volunteers as they marched through the streets, there was a most profound anguish for there had never been such a sad scene at the homes of these enlisted boys and men when the hour came to which they had to say their goodbyes. Okay. So these guys were trained, they were fired up to go, but they would have, at this point, it, it got real, really, really quick. Now, you know, just to tell about the organization, these guys, the organization, the 137th is placed in the 12th Corps in the army of the potomac under the newly hired henry slocum okay mm-hmm. he's the corps commander who had just taken over for joseph mansfield who got killed at antietam like a week before okay so now you're going to do command uh, as far as the um, as far as corps command um ireland's direct boss was a brigade commander a 61 year old rhode islander named george sears green perhaps we'll green on him perhaps green okay and he, they'll report to their division commander and a fellow Scot of all things, John Geary from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So here we go with Scotland again. Now, 137th is going to have to wait to see their first action, though, because they were listed as a reserve in the Battle of Fredericksburg. They didn't see any action of Fredericksburg, probably for the best. Okay. And they had to settle in the winter. They had to witness Ambrose Burnside and his, his mud march fiasco. They're on the mud January march, aren't they? And so they had to deal with all that. This was kind of their baptism. Ireland's men are going to finally see the the elephant, as they say, on May 2nd, 1863, near Fairview at the Battle of Chancellorsville, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Not far from the 11th Corps by old, what's his name? Uh, It was right around the corner. Howard. Yeah, oh, that's right. I forgot who that was but this was Ireland's first personal experience leading troops in a battle as, as a you know as a commander of a regiment and they're near Catherine and furnace right and they're just they're they're, they're they're just southeast of catherine furnace if you know the area by mm-hmm. fairview okay they're not going to see any infantry combat but they are going to be shelled relentlessly in their position okay and they suffered 55 casualties Including their first regimental death, the first death of anybody in the the 137th, a 16-year-old boy, a private, uh, Ireland. He's going to write afterwards of this, of the unit, that they manifested much coolness and bravery. So picture them; they still haven't seen seen fire yet, but they're sitting there as artillery is raining down on them, and they can't move. They're stuck there, and that's kind of their baptism. So. Despite the butt-kicking that, that, that the entire Union Army took at that battle, Ireland is going to proudly say that that regiment did not lose one color. Going back to your color story mm-hmm. from, okay, again, they did not lose one. They were the last regiment in the entire Union Army to cross the Rapidan after the battle. Yep. So what he's trying to say is, look, we, didn't, we weren't in it, but we showed a lot of bravery, right? And, and, and the men, they got this va- that valuable experience of being under fire. Because it's really at Gettysburg we're going to talk about where the 137th really takes off. And like I said earlier, due to the exclusion from books and movies, most people don't really know their story at Gettysburg. But w- when we talk about Gettysburg here, you know w- what they did at Gettysburg is one of the most important must-haves of the Union Army. It, and, it, yeah. and, it, and it's one of those things where um, it not only needs to be heard – but it needs to be learned, okay? Yeah, and it's I one see, of the greatest one of the greatest military moments in American history.
1: I I completely agree and and I have to say to to really understand what Ireland and his men, they are the right flank of the Union Army um, at Gettysburg. You have to go to Culp's Hill. You absolutely need to. So I mean, if you're going to Gettysburg, I mean go to Culp's Hill. It is. I mean, and really, you can't go to Round Top, but even if Round Top are open, go to Culp's Hill because it's going to help you to understand exactly what Ireland and his men do here in the 137th New York. Because it is like, you'll go there and be like, what the hell? Like, that's how I am. Every time I go there, I'm like, how did they do this? And I mean, thankfully, Darren, that's because of you, because you, you do tell the story so well of Ireland and his men and what they do here.
0: Well, I mean, without going into the whole the whole story of the, the history of the battle of Gettysburg, after that, yeah, you know, by the battle, you know, by the battle second day of you know, the Union Army, you know, they're going to hold the high ground on Cemetery Hill and Culps Hill. Um, it's a pair of elevations south of the town that was the key part of the battlefield for both armies. The 12th Corps had six total brigades. Okay, they were positioned on Culps Hill. A hill has two peaks. Okay, Upper Culps Hill is about 600 feet above sea level. And it's connected to a smaller hill, lower Mm -hmm. Culp's Hill. And in between the two, there's like a saddle or a little patch of of slow undulating ground, okay, between the two. That kind of connects them, okay? Exactly. The land is going to be owned by a local named Henry Culp, okay? It's a heavily wooded area with boulders thrown all over the place. Um, And the underbrush is going to be kind of thinned out because of the animals. Just picture like a picnic ground. That's how it looks. But it's steep and it's wooded. And the way it looks right now, if you go to Gettysburg, is pretty much the way it looked at the battle. Maybe it's grown a little bit more lately, but when they did the whole other work, it was very, very accurate. You know, by July 2nd, okay, this is the second day of the battle now, the Union knew holding Culp's Hill was crucial. Now, it was the high ground uh, behind the Union line that stood over Baltimore Pike. Baltimore Pike is a straight shot to Washington, D.C. It turns into Georgia Avenue, okay, and it's one of two supply roads that George Meade's going to have for the Army of the Potomac. The other, of course, is Tawny Town, which leads to Westminster. So they have to hold these roads, but especially Baltimore is mm-hmm. behind the Union line. So around 4 p.m. The, in the afternoon on July 2nd, James Longstreet's Confederate Corps is going to do their thing on the, on, the, on the other side, on the, on the, uh, the Union left. This is going to result in the battles of the Round Top, the Wheatfield, the Peach Orchard, all that stuff that people know at Gettysburg, Okay. Um, the sightings of the Rosewoods clown was probably seen for the first time somewhere around here, but, but fearing the battle could be lost on that side of the battlefield. I mentioned those six brigades on Culp's Hill, five of them are going to get redeployed from the 12th Corps to that part of the battlefield to defend the union position. Now that's going to leave just one brigade led by George Sears green to hold that hill and it was that urgent hold for the Union. Okay. So just imagine the situation now. It's getting late in the afternoon. What you had at one point, you know, six brigades, 22 regiments you had. Now you strip to one, to you know, to basically one brigade and five regiments. Okay. You're going to be left with just New Yorkers, the 60th, the 102nd, the 78th, the 149th, and the 137th. Okay. Um, but, and because they were stripped of manpower, instead of that shoulder to shoulder double rank that you used to seeing, you're talking about a full social distancing situation. I was just okay? going to say,
1: you put it so well in our live that we did on Sunday, like saying like they're basically social distancing from each other in this and not because they have to, but because they have no choice because they've lost, you know, so many men to, to go elsewhere on the battlefield. Right. And so they have so no choice but yeah. to spread themselves out like that.
0: They're basically at arm's length from each other, okay? Now, Green, the thing about Green, okay, besides being a Rhode Islander, so you know he knows what he's talking about. there, he's probably a Patriot fan, too. Go <laughs> Pats, by the way. Opening weekend, right?
1: You just got he a high five a- there
0: from our Rhode okay. Island listeners. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. But he was a trained engineer, so he knew the land, he knew the importance of terrain, So especially fighting defensively, which he knew he was going to have to do. So despite the protests of his division, Commander John Geary, who told him, no, he's going to go ahead and build breastworks to protect his brigade. Geary felt that fighting with breastworks gave soldiers a, a um, an un- unnecessary feeling of, of, if you fought without them, you weren't as good, or some, some silly phrase he said. Oh my God. But, Geary, but but Green felt that the saving of a life meant more than some silly philosophy. So he did them, and thank God they did, okay? He also repositioned his men along the slope, okay, he's gonna have the 60th, followed by the 102nd, the 78th, the 149th, and then Ireland is gonna be on the flank. He put Ireland on the flank because they were better trained. These, these U.S. regular trained type guys, okay? So he's on the right flank of the entire Union Army, okay? Now we'll never know if Green Game a sappy speech like Strong Vincent in the movie. I was You're just the end. Say- You cannot, sir. You must be stubborn. I you was just gonna admit. say, Very like, hard. is this one
1: like we are the flank?
0: Uh, You'll be taken by the rear. You know, like he <laughs> was. I don't mean, think if he does if he does that. But one thing but one thing he did do is he did tell him that your your flank, your right flank is in the air. It's not it's not positioned up against anything okay yeah so he's going to tell ireland and his men to dink a traverse or a trench and the soldiers of the 137 did not like this it was hot they were sick of building breastworks now they got to do another one so they grumbled but they had to build a traverse that basically set off to a right angle and thank god they did it's going to prove to save their lives later on so by five o'clock now confederate general allegheny johnson okay in a second, he's in the second division under Richard Ewell's second corps. Guess what's gonna happen, Mary? He's gonna notice that suddenly all those soldiers up on the hill aren't there anymore. Mm-hmm. So he sees an opportunity here. Okay, <laughs> that maybe, you know, just maybe he has a chance to do something with that hill. So what seemed like that Gibraltar of what it seemed before now looks very vulnerable. And if the rebs are gonna attack right up the hill. And they get up there. This could be a game changer, okay? So they're going to start that attack, All right? They're going to go up the hill, and they're going to hit right in the middle of the line. They're going to hit the 149th, which is just on the left of Ireland's 137. So it's going to lead to a bunch of fire. Before you know it, okay, Ireland, he's got 423 men. That's all he has, okay? Mm-hmm. In his front, he has six Confederate regiments coming at him under a guy named George Stewart, also known as Maryland Stewart. Okay. Yeah. Guess where he was from Virginia with that nickname. On. No, he was from Maryland. Oh, okay. probably <laughs> a pro- but he pro- commanded probably the 10th Virginia, staff. didn't he? No, he was, the, he was in charge of the brigade. He was, he was the brigade commander oh, okay. for that. So um, his six regiments was the first and third North Carolina, the 10th, 23rd, 37th Virginia and the first Maryland battalion. Okay. They have 2,121 men. Okay. Quick math formula, Mary. 2121 versus 423. What kind of ratio is that?
1: that's uh, not a good ratio. Even I can say that as somebody who sucks okay. at math. It's
0: almost exactly five to one. Okay. Wow. George Stewart has a five to one man advantage, okay, against Ireland's 137. This is what it's going to come down to, okay? Ireland knew because he was at the end of the line that he could not retreat at any cost. He had to stay so again with darkness falling okay and all these brigades coming at him face to face besides that everything seemed to be okay
1: yeah but he's in but earlier in the day he so earlier in the day we have chamberlain doing what he does at round top ireland is now pretty much in the same position to what chamberlain
0: was except he's in the dark right we're going to talk about chamberlain here in a minute we're going to talk about that but yeah that's just interesting parallel okay you know he must have. He must have knew that he was in a bad spot. He's going to get word now. Now so this is again. This is where you start to draw parallels with the other side going on. He's going to find out that four of, of Maryland Stewart's regiments. This is the first North Carolina the 37th, the 10th, and the 23rd VA Virginia. They're trying to get around and turn his flank now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they positioned, and they've, 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 these Confederates have positioned themselves behind a stone wall right on lower Culp's Hill now. So on the far end of, of Ireland's line is Company A. And to their left is Company F, okay? Now, both companies started to take heavy fire on their extreme right flank now. So they're, they're kind of screwed. Ireland sees this, and he's going to order Company A to refuse the line, which means you break off and you turn at a right angle, Okay to face the oncoming enemy. This is gonna slow them down a little bit initially, but what's gonna ultimately end up happening, as you can imagine, it's just gonna force the Confederates to swing further, okay? So now at one point, the 10th Virginia, under a guy named Edward Warren, is pretty much directly behind Ireland's line. He's right up the Savannah, okay? So Ooh. now, this will be when Ireland's pucker effect moment's gonna take over, okay? And it's because he knows he's seriously in a tough situation. He's got rebs on the fronts. He's got his flank threatened. And now his rear is threatened. And then he's also in the dark. Okay. So around this time, a guy named Colonel Richard Smith of the 71st Pennsylvania comes bopping by. They're going to be coming north from Spangler Spring. Okay. And this is going to be right in the middle of when this firefight's going on. Now Ireland's doing whatever he can to plug the gaps. You could only imagine—it's dark. Their guys are all covered in crap, and it's just—you can only imagine the yep. flash, the muzzles. Smith of the seventy-first Pennsylvania is going to see the trouble Ireland is in, and he—he he had the opportunity, I guess, to, to help out. But guess what he does? Okay, after a brief fight, he gets involved for a second. He's going to lose fourteen guys, and you know what he does? He says, "Screw this," and he leaves. Yeah, and he he leaves Ireland holding his diaper in the rain, literally and figuratively. Okay, after the battle, okay, Smith's gonna say um, he didn't stay to help because he didn't want to see his men murdered. That's what he said. So he left. He left Ireland's guys. All, oh my god! All, just left them. Said the hell with this, right? Now, Ireland is gonna be is gonna be basically on his own at this point, right? And he's gonna have at this point he's going to have his men wheel to the right again. In mm-hmm. this time, they're going to set up behind that traverse they dug. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now they have they these, this traverse they had to reluctantly build earlier in the day. Now they got a little bit of protection now, thanks to that traverse that they really didn't want to build. Now, this is very much like you were saying before, like Chamberlain it is. in the 20th made a little round top. Okay. Ireland refused his line. Um, that was being out when he was being outflanked by the Rebs. The difference, of course, is this, is unlike Chamberlain, who held out against two regiments, the 15th and 47th Alabama, he did this against an entire brigade, okay, of 2,121 guys. That's how long he did, okay. Uh, That's how many guys he went against. Now, behind the brigade, behind the barricade, rather, with darkness falling, this 137th New York was able to kind of hold Stewart's brigade back. And this is where darkness helped them out a little bit. They held out for a full hour behind this traverse fighting these guys. And in the dark, not knowing what the hell was going on, you had situations where Stewart's men were firing over the Union line and hitting their own guys on the other side. It yeah. was a complete, complete cluster, okay? I
1: was reading about that, how that was happening. I was like, holy...
0: <laughs> like, but, but, you what know, the but, hell? But, like, But but wait, there's more, okay? Um, so, guess, so as the battle starts to slacken, okay... Maryland's guys start to fall back, the the shots start to slow down a little bit. Guess what happens is is Joseph Gregg of Company I, okay, he's gonna be ordered to do a bayonet charge. Yeah. And he's gonna run right, they're gonna run right at the 10th Virginia. He's so badass
1: for doing that. He's just like, fuck this, we're gonna go
0: do this. (laughs) It must it must have been the last thing, okay. The last thing those Virginians expected was these guys running right at him. Now, sadly, Greg is going to be morally wounded yeah. in this charge, okay? But what it's going to do, it's going to drive the Virginians back down the hill, back down the lower Culp Hill. And what it's going to do, it's going to pretty much stabilize Culps Hill now, and it's going to keep the Union Army, thanks to Ireland, that 137, for maintaining Culps Hill yeah. throughout that battle. So as, as it goes on, you know, the night goes on, those five brigades I mentioned who left the dance floor to go fight against Longstreet's guys, mm. they're going to slowly start to come back. It's going to take some time. It's dark. They're going to get lost. They're going to finally make it back. When they do get back to Kolb's Hill, they're going to find a lot of Confederates in their entrenchments from where they were. It's going to lead to that next day's battle with Charles Mudge and the second mass yep. in and it's all, it's all going to lead to that. But now um, what it's going to do, it's going to ultimately, thanks to Green's breastworks and the, and the decision-making of Ireland, they're going to be able to hold out against those odds, and they're going to be able to kind of stem that Confederate tide. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the battle goes on, so July 3rd, around 4 o'clock in the morning, um, you know, the Rebs are going to kind of renew the fight back on Culp's Hill. Except now, instead of those five brigades left over from Green, they're fighting those 22 brigades again. Now, yeah. some of the guys have been lost in through middle of the battle, In uh, the 137 is going to return to their original position, which is kind of right in the middle of the line. But at the end of the day, Ireland's regiment is going to take a beating here. Of the 423 guys I mentioned at the beginning, 40 are going to be killed, 87 wounded, 10 missing for a total of 137. Ironically, the same number as their regiment numbers, yep. 137 casualties. That's 32%. percent going to save you the math. casualties they're going to have for this, okay? After the battle, Lieutenant Collins from the 149th New York, okay, the one that was just to their left, right next to him from Syracuse, okay, he's going to describe in his memoirs the state of the 137th right afterwards. And he's going to write, the survivors of the 137th New York looked sad and mournful as they marched away. Many had eyes filled with tears, Okay, these guys had had enough. They'd been through hell. They just about had it. Yeah. This was their real first fight, their and, first one.
1: And l- you have to look at how well they did, right? Like they're held in reserve at Fredericksburg, so they really don't get anything. I mean, now Ireland, he's he's seen the elephant. I think at first Bull Run, right, being with with Sherman's guys that they they made it further than a lot of other Union troops that day. They they experienced some very hard fighting. I mean, all Union troops did. But Sherman's troops were the ones that got really close to Jackson, right? And, But I think, you know, these guys, to be at Gettysburg, you know, they're held in reserve at Fredericksburg. They don't really see much at Chancellorsville. To experience this and do what they did, but just to witness, the horrors of it. Like one guy said that on July third, when they were still fighting, the whole hillside seemed enveloped in a blaze. I can't imagine what these guys saw here at Culps Hill. And I mean, if you're at if if you're at Culps Hill, you can understand why when Ireland and you know, or when Greg, when he manages to drive those guys back with that bayonet charge, why they don't come back up. That hill is it's a bitch to climb. It, it is. It is. It's it, there's rocks, there's roots digging out from trees. I mean, you do it once and you're like, Yay, I did it, and then you get driven back and you're like, I am not doing that again. It no. it is brutal.
0: But you know what though? As much as you know, those soldiers they lost, and like I said, 137 casualties and 137 New York, right? It's funny how numbers work out sometimes. Thirty two percent. Despite all that, the men still were thankful for the training they got after the whole you know after this whole thing is over Henry Shipman that 50 year old guy we mentioned he's back again he's going to write afterwards the men in the regiment would not change Colonel Ireland for any officer in the entire Union Army that's what he said okay Mm -hmm. so this is how much has been respected him so after the Battle of Gettysburg okay the army. Could not be happier with what he, what he did. Okay. So David Island, they're going to give a furlough to. Now here's how here's what they did. They knew he had Sarah back in back in Binghamton. And he knew it. so. So what they did is they came, they gave him a wink wink recruiting mission back to Binghamton. <laughs> okay. It wasn't a furlough, it was a recruiting mission. So they sent him back and it was really a reward for the effort he did at Gettysburg. So he can go back and see Sarah. Okay. That's what they did for him. So he does it, August twenty third, eighteen sixty three. Guess what happens? Ireland and Sarah Phelps to get themselves married. Nice. Okay, they're gonna they're gonna get married in Judge Sherman Phelps his his uncle her uncle's home. Okay, the ceremony was the ceremony was conducted by a local pastor named Horace Winslow. Now this this whole guise of a recruiting trip was was known by everybody. So during the ceremony, Winslow said this of the couple. This is what he this is what he said at the wedding. He wrote. The gallant Colonel Ireland of the 137th New York Regiment, it will be seen by our by our marriage column. He has been on a recruiting trip to this village. We congratulate him on his selection of a new aide-de-camp and wish him a smooth <laughs> and prosperous campaign in the battle of life.
1: Wow.
0: Okay. So they're saying is he has a recruiting trip and he came and he found himself a wife. Yeah. Okay, but that's how they did it. Now the problem with being in the army, Mary, is you can't stick around too long. So no. unfortunately for the newlyweds, their time together is going to be short on this trip. Um, I imagine those couple of days they spent all that time probably talking about battle lines and pile closures. They probably, sure. they probably you know, that, that's, yeah. that's probably what they yeah. did the whole entire time. So <laughs> now the, now while this is all going on, I don't know if you know this, Mary, but there was also a Western theater. There, okay? Oh, I and, was
1: just about to <laughs>
0: that and so so the in the western theater the war was raging in tennessee now the 12th corps which was currently camped in virginia is going to be shipped via train for the western theater to join u.s grant's army and this is going to include the 137th new york Mm -hmm. so ireland had to say goodbye to sarah again and return to the front so once again now in the west the 137th is going to be thrown right into fire again
1: They are. And I was going to say, along with, you know, just this moving out west is not just the 12th Corps and a lot of the regiments that are with them at Gettysburg, but also the 11th Corps, Joseph Hooker goes out there too. But like, you know, the one thing about this that, you know, the the 12th Corps is kind of like 11th, 12th Corps, kind of like the Island of Misfit Toys when it comes to the Army of the Potomac, but they're going to go out west 137th with David, David Ireland is going to go out there. And they are going to do, they're going to be part of a few battles in the Western theater that are quite key in securing the city of Chattanooga, but also Atlanta as well.
0: Yeah, so they're going to go west um, and they're going to be part of that siege of Chattanooga we talked about. Ironman's men are going to find themselves again at the end of a line. This time at the Battle of Wauhatchie yep. on August 28th and the 29th. This is that midnight to 3 a.m. shit show, okay? Yeah. And they had to fight for three hours in that early morning because the Rebs are trying to shut down that new open cracker line that uh, William Rosecrans had gone through. Yeah. And, and settle that whole thing, Rosecrans, Mary. Good that, guy. Not for not for nothing, but so what so. This is during the Chattanooga siege when Bragg is trying to basically starve them out. They they open that supply line. Now the Rebs are going to go to try to shut that supply line down. And this is going to be where Ireland and his guys are going to stand up again, be put again on the end of the flank. Yep. And they're going to help secure and push the Rebs back to keep that supply line open. So they're, they're still in it again, right? A month later, at the bat, the actual Battle of Chattanooga, out the 37... They're gonna they're gonna fight with Joseph Hooker, and Lookout Mountain in the famous battle above the clouds, right? And they're gonna help not chase Not just Bragg pure
1: and, romance, sorry. And he's gonna
0: they're gonna fight. You know they're gonna fight. Um, Bragg chase him into what North Carolina. I mean, out to North Georgia. And it's funny because dude, I I forget the I forget the name of the regiment that was behind them, but as they were chasing the Rebs up Lookout Mountain the Rebs dropped their flags and ran. Yep. The regiment behind them pick up the flags and all those guys in the Medals of Honor getting the flags. Yeah. And, and the New Yorkers were pissed at that.
1: Oh, at I can't blame them for that. Well, When we go to Lookout Mountain, we'll have to see if we can find all those monuments for them
0: too. I know, know, there's no question. And, you know, he, but this Ireland again. By this time, he's a brigade commander now. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be commanding those same, same New York brigades that he was going to be doing, right? Now, the following winter, the following winter now, Ireland's men are gonna be in winter camp in a place called Stevenson, Alabama.
1: Mm.
0: Okay. This is a railroad town full of bars and bang barns and all this <laughs> stuff, right? And, and but it was also a vital railroad connection for supplies yep. for, for the troops. No, it's funny because while in Stevenson, you know, Ireland must have had the reputation of being just this this guy, just this town, whatever. They gave him the task in his spare time while he was supposed to be relaxing. In winter camp, to clean up the town, be a sort of pseudo sheriff in, in Stevenson, Alabama. Oh my
1: God! Really?
0: Okay? So he he was he was in charge of getting rid of all the the hookers, the gamblers, the transplanted Canadians, all the, all the bad <laughs> seeds. What? <okay? laughs>
1: transplanted Canadians. But,
0: but but he's he had to clean up the town, you know. And by all accounts, he did a pretty good job of it. We're just getting rid of the riffraff in town. He oh apparently God. he did it. But but during this winter break, okay. Ireland is going to get visited by Sarah. Mm. She's going to jump on the train and visit from Binghamton, take the ride down to Stevenson, and she's going to stay with Dave for Ireland for three months mm. in camp now. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so this was kind of the closest thing to a honeymoon these people are going to have. So in early May, though, that honeymoon is going to come to an end because he's going to be ordered to join Sherman again. Yeah. But everything's full circle. Right. Right. To George, George uh, William T. Sherman on his march to take Atlanta. Yeah. And so, so with you know, with with tears in her eyes, she's going to board the train back to New York, and sadly, this is the last time they're ever going to meet. Is, yep. this, is this moment? And I guess it was it was a, it was quite an emotional thing. Um, and she, you know, Ireland's going to be part of that of, of the Atlanta campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to be in the middle. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, he's and this guy's. He's gonna find himself in the middle of everything Resaca, Dallas, New Hope. You know, he's gonna be in Colb's uh, Farm, Kennesaw, Mary, uh, Marietta, Peachtree Creek. Peach Creek, all of it right into Atlanta. This, this, he's Ireland, is his guys are gonna be in the middle of all of this, okay? When it's all said and done, the 137 New Yorkers gonna be involved in 18 different engagements. 18. The Atlanta campaign of- has so many different engagements in it. Bobby the whole the whole thing I mean he's soup to nuts here okay he he, you know from he misses Fredericksburg but from Fredericksburg to Bentonville they're going to be involved in everything in between now here's the cool thing about this though Mary okay September 2nd 1864 okay you know what day that is that's the day Atlanta falls right that's
1: the day Slocum
0: walks into Atlanta
1: and he's like is this my but guess who the
0: first guess who the first officer into Atlanta is it's david ireland david ireland yeah okay and so, so you know what cool. he does it's like when you walk in say you say you have a roommate with some friends right yeah you walk into an apartment you're the first one there what do you do you pick out the biggest room
1: mm-hmm.
0: he walks in he picks john bell hood's headquarters as his <laughs> headquarters so that big mansion that it, i just make it ireland says you know what this looks good to me i'm taking this one and That's he does in his there is one of two known pictures of David Ireland that exist. One is the one you see with his hand in his pocket. Yep. The other is him and his officers in front of the house that John Bell Hood in Atlanta stood. In.
1: That is awesome. And,
0: and you can see him standing as So one, one of two pictures. So that is like cool. so.
1: I don't know. Like that's balls right there. It's like, hey, look I at would me, Hood.
0: Look at me, Hood. Oh, I would too. Yeah, I would too. You know. I would too. You know but, you know, all, all the good, the, the good times kind of come to an end though, because September 2nd, he gets into, he gets into Atlanta mm-hmm. and almost immediately he gets sick. Uh, okay, yeah. And whether it's the bad food or the dirty water or who the hell knows what he's going to be hit with a bad case of dysentery almost immediately, like right off the bat, mm-hmm. um, he's going to be get quickly. He's going to get dehydrated um and eight days later on September 10th to the shock of his men Ireland's going to die and they are going to be stunned by this stunned right it was a regimental chaplain a guy named Captain Eli Roberts who's going to personally take the body of Ireland back to Binghamton and three days after he died Okay. The Bingham Repo- the Binghamton Republican, he, he was, spoke, he was scheduled to go back to Binghamton for a week. Right. Yeah. Okay. And he, he didn't make it, but the newspaper writes this in the newspaper. It is a pain. It is, it is a painful due to announce the death of Colonel David Ireland. We understand his wife, Sarah was expecting soon a visit from her husband. He is on the way but alas, comes in the sad habiliments of the dead, another noble martyr to the cause of the union. So she's literally expecting him to show up on her doorstep. Instead, she gets his coffin, oh, unfortunately. That, that, and and it's, so you can only imagine, imagine how that must have gone, right?
1: Yeah,
0: Ireland uh, is going to be buried in Spring Forest Cemetery in Binghamton. He died with no money. I mean, he was a, he was a soldier. So that that judge we talked about, Sherman Phelps, would have paid for his would have paid for his burial. And if you go if you go to Spring Forest Cemetery now, he has a gorgeous gravestone. Okay, and it's by it's believed that that's who paid for was Phelps. Um, This is the same cemetery that holds the remains of John Cleveland Robinson. From Um, Gettysburg, ironically. mm -hmm. It's also the same cemetery that holds that 14-year-old boy who lied about his 18-year-old age. Okay. Ambrose Davidson, he's buried there too. And in that and that is gonna pretty much finish the tale of David Ireland. And but the thing about it is his legacy kind of goes on, right? They say you never really die as long as you're remembered, Mm -hmm. right? That's the old saying. Okay. Sarah, his wife, his ex-wife, she's gonna remarry twice. She's going to, she's going to rebound. Okay. And, but she was always going to be known as Mrs. David Ireland to the members of 137 New York. She was a regular guest at their reunions. She would still go oh. in 19 she lived until 1919. Okay. When, when she's going to die. She's buried in Syracuse next to her third husband, a guy named William gear um, who was a wealthy engineer in the area. But, um, but basically, you know, she would go to the reunions. She would see the soldiers. They'd call her Mrs. Ireland. Wow. Um, and, and that's, that's the, the sad part about it though, is the sto- you know, to this day, the story of David Ireland really isn't well known. Um, he and his wife, Sarah had no children. So, and there was no story to be told after that, especially his role at Gettysburg. For the most part, he dies and, you know, and he's a hero locally but there's no one to tell his tale. There were 63 medals of honor given at the battle of Gettysburg, 63. You know who didn't get one? David David Ireland.
1: Ireland. Neither did Charles Tilden.
0: Right. But Ireland was not a recipient, uh, regardless of his 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 heroism, who I think a lot of people say is the true hero of the battle of Gettysburg, especially on the flank. Mm. And sadly, He's fallen from the cracks of history because really no one's been around to tell his tale.
1: I, I completely agree with you on that. Um, having visited Culps Hill quite a few times in the last year uh, with you, and just wandering down and looking up at where the Union was and what he had, what what he was doing, it's like holy shit. He, I mean he is the unsung hero of Gettysburg I think with this on the right flank with what he had to do with I mean how spread out his men had to be but not only that he reminds me a lot of John Gibbon in the sense that um you know when Gibbon took over what became the Iron Brigade they didn't like him at first because he was disciplining them in a way that they'd never been disciplined before but then they came to recognize it after a battle that wow this guy did good things. And Gibbon was at every single reunion, you know, with those guys, even though he was not from where they were. I mean, Gibbon was born in Pennsylvania. He was raised in the Carolinas, right? Um, and I think in some ways, in, it's it's a similar story to David Ireland's. How, Gibbon, how respected David Ireland is, is a lot like John Gibbon with the Iron Brigade. It's a yeah. It's very similar I, I think, to that I too.
0: Think, but I think Gibbons' legacy is one that goes. I mean, people oh, it is. Know, people know the Gettys, but the, the, the you know. But nobody. Yeah, but did.
1: but again, yeah. That's where it differs is nobody knows who Ireland is, but they should because of that because of what he does. Um, he's, I mean, anybody who goes to Culp's Hill you'll see it there. You'll know yeah, what he did.
0: There's no question, but I think it's, I think it's a good, good place to drop. I think it's a good story. I think it's one. If you go to Gettysburg, you're going to go to Culp's. Hill, Mm -hmm. find the one thirty-seven New York, take a peek. It's tough to find the traverse It's kind of built over a little bit, but you you can see where it is. Um, It's kind of right where the saddle is. It kind of, the road kind of dips and it goes across the road. Just imagine yourself in that position. It's nighttime. You're being attacked by 2,100 guys. You're 400 guys they're going around to your right. Now you're in, in this traverse, in this, this, this ditch, this trench uh, fighting and fighting and fighting, and you're able to hold them off. Um, and And this is your first real infantry battle. And because of your actions, you're able to push them down the hill until those five other regiments come back. Those remaining 17 brigades are going to come back to, to bail you out. And it isn't too a reach to say that if, Johnson, Allegheny Johnson, and and those guys get up on Culp's Hill. You're behind the union line. You have that supply road of Baltimore Pike. It's hard to imagine how that July 2nd War Council meeting is going to play out, knowing that they're right behind you. You may have to leave at that point. And if you believe that, the fact that that they were not up there, has a lot to do with David Ireland's 137. So exactly. nothing against the Chamberlain people because what he did was very important too. But I think if you because of the movie, people like Ireland don't get the credit they do. Take a peek on the other flank because sometimes the other flank tells a better story. In this case, it's, it's in this case is true.
1: No, I and I completely agree with that. It's a lot like uh, the Battle of Chickamauga where if they had let them get through on that Lafayette Road to Chattanooga. Things would have not went so great for the Union Army. You know, the other thing too about Ireland is and the and the one thirty seventh is is these are guys that fought in not only the Eastern Theater but the Western Theater and they went to the end of the Civil War. And unfortunately Ireland is not with them at Bentonville. But these are guys that they saw so much. They're on the march to the sea and they go right through it to the end of the civil war they're not they're not there at the beginning because they don't come into it until antietam but they're there at the end and they see so much and it it's unfortunate that ireland was not there to witness the end of it because he was there at the beginning with the 79th new york at first bro run no
0: doubt no doubt so no, no disrespect to Chamberlain on his birthday, no, by the way, as we as we sit here and record this, but I think it's ironic on a date when a historical person dies in Scotland, we're going to throw a little bit of light on another historical yep. person born in Scotland who doesn't obviously. And what
1: day much does he die? He dies now. on September the tenth, right, eighteen sixty four.
0: Which which is coming up the day this episode is going. Yeah, to Yeah, the drops, day this so.
1: episode drops. So the day you go oh, if you're listening day. to this it's on irony. September the tenth, uh, this is the anniversary of David Arlen's death
0: it is it is all right so that that'll do it with us so what's coming up next for us so, Even so
1: we are going to be recording an episode with some guests hopefully soon um, we are going to be doing an episode about uh special order 191 and talking about that and its implications for the maryland campaign battle of antietam and all that uh we are going to be having our round table this month in september as well And we all have some book club news to share with you soon as well. So um, we just want to thank you all for listening to us for these last 92 episodes. And before he can say any final words from you, (laughs) um, Darren, you are an amazing co-host and thank you for all your knowledge on David Ireland. Um, And also thank you for all the tours on Culp's Hill that you've given me because you have given me such an appreciation for that part of Gettysburg. Thank you.
0: Well, you got to go to Culps. Culps is the way to go. So thanks everybody for listening. Everybody have a great night and hope your football team loses, unless you're the Patriots this weekend. And we will look forward to talking to you all sorts fun stuff coming down the road. Off we go. So Mary, again the pleasure, as we say, is always all yours. And we will talk to you all on the other side.
1: See you guys later.